Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Good morning, class. You may be seated. Today's lesson is Pathfinder 202, Player Types and Conflict. This is part of our 200 series all about GMing the game, even though the word player is in the title. <laughs> no, player types and conflict, I think, is going to be a, is a definitely a big subject when it comes to playing this game, because guess what, Christian? You got to deal with people, and that's the worst. <laughs> it certainly is, and no matter what, even with a great group of friends, eventually conflict will arise in some way, shape, or form. Definitely, definitely. I mean, just people are just diverse. You got different backgrounds, different religious beliefs, different mannerisms, and just more, most importantly, and most importantly, different ways of playing the game. People enjoy different things. Earlier in some of our old episodes, I talk about how uh, strict I am when I choose who I, I GM for. And it's just because of things that we'll talk about today, past experiences. You know, I make sure that everybody's here for the same game. When conflicts arise at the table, as the GM, it's your job to be the arbiter. Whether the problems between you and another player are between two other players, it is your job as a GM to help resolve that issue. As we talked about in our previous episode, jamming basics. In the end, you just want to make sure everybody's having fun. We're all here to have fun. Now, there is one scenario where, you know, what if the GM is the one causing the problem? Well, when you listen to this episode, you know, kind of see where, oh, I can see how I could be doing that. Try to cut yourself off from doing that. But you got to be open to a little bit of criticism from other players. But now here's where I'm going to talk to the players. Players, if you have a problem, talk to your GM. I had a problem with a camp in a campaign that I left. What I should have done is talk to the GM. I didn't. I just skipped that step and said I'm done. Oh my goodness! Please talk to the GM if you have a problem. I had a huge problem. Like I have to ask for feedback. Oh yeah. Because you know you don't know. You have so much on your plate as a GM. You're trying to keep track of so much. You're trying to keep the story continuity correct, and you might not notice that someone. You might be dripping someone. You might be. Right affecting someone's game negatively you might not notice and if you don't come to me as a gm and talk to me i might never notice right and that comes from a place of just an accident you didn't mean to do it sometimes there are people who don't recognize what they're doing is bad so hopefully you can listen to some of these things and we'll explain to you why they're bad uh and everyone's different i think i would feel comfortable coming to you christian and talking to you after game about something but everyone's different you might be a little intimidated by the person who's your gm and stuff so you know you gotta weigh that out with each person's different like i wouldn't feel comfortable coming to you with a problem <laughs> caleb because i feel like you just make fun of me more <laughs> no i wouldn't i'll get your big nose out of my face i'm trying to read this um <laughs> His nose is fine. I just picked it. He's touching his nose now. He's like, is it really big? Is this true? Uh, <laughs> Paizo published a book called uh, The Game Mastery Guide. And in there, they have a bunch of, I think, what are some good categories of player types. So we're going to use that as our base. And our extra credit will expand on some ones we think of ourselves. And before we go even do the first one, Chris, I got to make something super clear. Never, ever label anyone, let alone your characters. It's a terrible thing. Most of these are bad. We'll talk about some redeeming qualities of other ones, but never say or never thank people. Oh, he's in it. He's an antagonist. Whoa. Bad news. That's not going to get anybody changed. It's just going to hurt feelings. Don't do it. The purpose. It's okay to think it. Just don't say <laughs> it out loud to the person or anyone ever. Yeah. Or even really think of them in that way. The, the purpose of us going through these player types, the purpose of them being listed in categories that we can talk about is so that you can recognize who you are and you can change yourself or recognize somewhere where your player might be at fault and help them to change. None of this is to, um, judge is too loose of a word, none of this is to hurt anyone or to 
say that, that you're just this kind of person and you have no more depth than this. You understand? You can really hurt some hurt some feelings. Uh, don't fall into that pitfall. A big way to nip all these problems in the bud before they really start affecting the table is to A, have clearly defined table etiquette, something we talked about in the extra credit of our previous episode, 201 and 201 extra credit, and having clearly defined character creation rules. Yeah, when you create a character as well, or when your players create a character, feel free to look at their uh, their sheet. I mean, especially if you're all new, uh, it, it, sometimes you can make errors not even knowing about it, and that can lead to some power gamers or glass jaws, which you'll figure out what those are in a second. I played in a campaign, I was shocked to find the GM didn't look at people's character sheet before the first session. Even mm-hmm. an experienced player can make a mistake on a right. character sheet or accidentally do something that was off limits because they didn't properly read something that was sent to them. Like, oh, you can't pick that class kind of thing. You know when I don't look at a sheet? is if I know the person used Hero Lab, then I'm cool. I don't look at the sheet. <laughs> I look at the sheet to get to know who they are and I get a, a, a flavor for them. But I actually kind of like to be surprised what my players can do. Like, okay, he's a rogue, got this, this, And then when we're going through the thing, he's like, I've got the trick that lets me go through walls. I'm like, oh, super cool. I didn't even know about that. <laughs> there goes hours of planning. I love it. <laughs> he can just go through the wall. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's get into the meat of it, huh? So the antagonist, or as I like to call him, the troll, as any internet user who uses them dank memes would know about, <laughs> there are trolls. If you have anonymity, you got trolls. Well, sometimes without the anonymity, trolls still exist, and you have antagonists. This is the kind of guy that every turn is doing something to upset the balance. He gets fun out of things getting messed up, out of ruining plans, or doing the opposite of what is expected. Uh, let me give an example. I had an antagonist, uh, unfortunately one of the first times I ever played ever. I was jamming and I antagonist who his fun was, is it a serious moment? Well, let me be super goofy. Is it a goofy moment? Let me be super serious. And he was uh, definitely being a troll whenever he could. Uh, and he had some other negative things. We'll find out later in different combinations that ended up being bad. But his entire time, everything he was doing was just opposite of what the party was trying to do. Typically, I find the problem with these players is that they aren't engrossed in the story and they're not really engrossed in the atmosphere of the game either, which is why, again, one of the things that helps stop this from happening is clearly lay out to everyone like this is the kind of game I'm running. This is going to be a serious game where we're talking about elder gods and people might go insane. Right, right. The big problem with this one and why it's probably my least favorite one right off the bat is because it creates animosity, not between player characters, but between players. Players will get upset with each other. You know, you're, quote unquote, you're ruining the game and things like that. So this is a real dangerous one. Check yourself. Are you having fun out of everyone, out of messing with people? You're pretty much a big bully in that point. Mm-hmm. And if that's your problem, look at yourself, say, whoa, I need to, I need to, I need to change something. Because in the end, you're, you're taking away fun from uh, other people. This one's dangerous because it, it hurts other people as well. The reason the evil alignments and chaotic neutral get a bad rap is because a lot of people who make evil or chaotic neutral characters find themselves falling into the root of being an antagonist, then saying, oh, but that's what my character would do. Yes. And well, if your character's a jerk, then we're not going to hang out with you. That's the line you use against that. Right. In Trailblazers, uh, Josh was actually an antagonist, which is uh, probably one of the only people I've ever had a kick out of a campaign uh went well and all that but uh he he was an antagonist uh, he did a lot of things just to argue for the sake of arguing no one else wanted to argue i edited out a lot of the stuff so you probably couldn't tell but the players were like come on man let's just continue on 
one thing was somebody knocked on the door, wanted to come in, right? And and he wouldn't let him in. And like the whole thing, like the players just the other players weren't there to help it come along. So they had to just rely on Josh messing with this guy and not letting him in just because he was having fun antagonizing the guy. Halt to the story, nobody had fun. So I had to dress it and talk to him. We'll get into an extra credit. We'll talk about specifically how to kick somebody out of a campaign and do it kindly and all that stuff. But um what I did do is I talked to all my players first beforehand. And then I talked to him to make sure we were all on the same page. But we'll talk more about that in a second. I think uh, we had an interaction with a game that you're running right now, Christian, uh, where my character ended up being kind of evil. Just kind of ended up that way. And, uh, yeah, we had we had to talk about it. So let's talk about how we dealt with that. Uh, maybe I wouldn't say necessarily I was an antagonist, but I definitely had some aspects there. And, again, this is one of the ones where I didn't even know it. There's no real good in-game way to handle it some things you can do like little tricks to fix things in-game there's no real good in-game way to to handle it because you'll never fix it you'll never it'll be like little band-aids and there's really no way to do it without taking away the player's agency in the story that when they go to be an antagonist you just say no right no you're not doing that which is something you almost never want to say as a gm so it's definitely something you have to handle out of game you got to go and talk to them and then i think you'll find with all of these there's going to be a similar way to handle it out of game, which is where you take them aside by themselves, not with everyone else, and you talk to them about it. But with you and I, let's give a, a little concrete example. We actually, I'm not sure I'd recommend this, but we did it in front of everybody. Well, actually, here, why don't we use this as a good example of some things not to do and some things to do? Because I think we, we did both of those. Let's talk about the not to do. I think we did it in front of everybody, which I think wasn't the best. And I think we handled more than one issue. We handled, you have a, a house rule where no players uh, roll against each other, which I broke. And then we were also handling the antagonist nature, which were two different issues at the same time. I think I convoluted things. Uh, you agree with that? It was the reason I brought it up in front of everyone was because it was an issue that was affecting other players with the rolling against them. And right. I didn't exactly know their feelings about it. And I didn't have the time to go to them first and say this, like, how do you feel? I kind of had to deal with it then and there. So I wanted to get everyone's opinion on it. Right. And it's important to get everyone's opinion. I think uh, uh, later on, you'll see specifically, I'll give an example of that. But uh, the good thing was, uh, you know, everyone there was describing to me how they felt, which was a, which was a very good, if you, just for future, if you ever want to get, you're, you're in some sort of argument, talk about how it made you feel. Sometimes the logic of things overrides the bare fact that, oh, wait, I made this person feel like crap. That's kind of overrides the logic of whether or not they should have. Well, they did. That's the way they felt. Uh, so it was good to know that and, and how uh, Caleb, you actually took decisions away from the rest of the party. The rest of the party were trying to do something and you forced the opposite. And that made me think, whoa, that's like the worst kind of thing to do. I should not be doing that, right? And then I changed, and then, you know, now I was still able to play this character, which I think comes out of, probably comes out of the experience I have. Probably if I was a uh, earlier player in my career, I wouldn't be able to continue the character. But I was able to continue it, continue, I think, being faithful to his character, but not rolling against the party anymore, not doing things that diverts them off of what everyone wants to do, asking everyone's opinion first before I go after the guy I want to kill, right? Mm-hmm. And, and things like that. And I think in the end it resolved well. I think so too. The game's still going well. Now, a lot of these we're going to mention, they have some sort of good aspect right. to them. Redeemable qualities. The antagonist is not one of them. There's really no positive to being an antagonist. Right. I think it's healthy to have a small amount of conflict between player characters. I think that is a perfectly healthy thing to yeah. have and it helps develop character. Absolutely. But actually being an antagonist, I don't think there's any positive to that. In our case, it's actually like I'm gleaning things from them and, and we've almost changed places where now I'm like, maybe we shouldn't murder this guy. And they're like, we need to murder this guy. <laughs> All of a sudden we're in different places. Um, 
But you know what? There is one good thing that you can have for the troll is that if everyone is a troll, if the GM and all the players, I shouldn't say troll, antagonist, if the GM and all the players are antagonists and they want to just play a, a game where they can just be ridiculous and goof off the whole time and, and just try to ruin everyone's plans, some people get a lot of enjoyment out of that. And that's cool for them. Let's go on to the next one. The continuity expert. This is a guy who knows everything about the world. Uh, I'm lucky enough to usually, I, I only run homebrews, so all the world's the world I made. I know more about it than my players. So I haven't had to you know play in the world of Galarian where the continuity expert's like, oh, well, actually, uh, you know, uh, Elizabeth the Queen was actually a queen seven years ago and she died of polio like Christian's mother. So you cannot, she can't be here in this camp. Or, yeah, but she's going to be, all right, fine, you know, so it creates problems. In case someone missed the the, 5, the episode so. where he mentioned that, he doesn't, my, that doesn't mean my actual mother, one of my <laughs> player characters' mothers apparently has polio. Did that get resolved? Uh, not yet. They apparently got kicked out of their, uh, town uh, by some refugee army <laughs> that's gonna be a problem kick coming out a up. poor woman with polio what a cruel hearts uh but this guy the problem here is created where you're stopped every moment of the way the story's impeded to hear about the lore of something sometimes it's not even about like something that's directly it's they're giving you obscure information well did you know that her cousin's uncle was actually the lord seven towns are like oh my gosh i don't care <laughs> It also is a problem when they're actually correcting stuff the GM does. Just because you're running something in Glorion, the GM still has, like, executive authority to create and not put things into the story or change certain interactions where they'll walk into a town. The town's filled with such race and the continuity actually be like, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, the treaty here at this time says that orcs can't be past Christian's this border. pushing up his glasses. <laughs> Where they're actually going to, like, in the middle of the game, interrupting and saying, the DM, this is wrong. Based on the lore of Galorion, this is wrong. Based on the world of Pathfinder, this is wrong. Because I run homebrews, I haven't experienced this. Have you had any experience with a um, continuity expert in your game? No, I've, I've never had a continuity expert. I've had the exact opposite, where a player had read material beforehand. He, I borrowed the Rise of the Ruin Lords adventure path from him, and he had already read most of it. So to stop himself from metagaming, he made a goblin character. Gotcha, smart, smart. And that actually nixed his ability to metagame because he was a not particularly intelligent goblin. Gotcha, cool. I think the best way to handle this out of game is the same as other go out them and, and talk to them and present to them how their behavior is hurting others. Hey, uh, you know, I have made these changes and this is the way I like, I'm, I'm actually running it. And when you interrupt it's stuff, it not only confuses players, but it, you know, it just delays everything for no reason. Just for me to say, Hey, that's not the way it works. Uh, a lot of it's just a kind of an attitude problem. If somebody was nice, like, boy, I'm playing Galarian and I have Christian, uh, as a player and I'm GMing and I'm like, Hey, can you tip me off when I say something that's not just right since I'm not as familiar with Galarian as you are, then the attitude's good. You've been invited to come and do it. So I think it's a big attitude changes whether or not this is a problem. It, whereas they have the attitude where you say, like, there's this cultist and he has this symbol, and then they interject and they're like, that's not right. No, they wouldn't wear that apparel. Right. The the clerics of that god specifically wear this, this, and that, right. and these colors. And it's like, well, I didn't ask right. they're wearing this right. that's what i said <laughs> if i had said uh the good way the good version of that is uh so claire comes in christian do you know what a holy symbol would be oh yeah it's this 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 okay yeah, it's yeah, a so feather it's dipped in blood that's the that's the good way of that one so it has a little bit of redeemable quality now here's one that is pretty rough the diva 
This person brings spotlights from home and, and has makeup, right? That's a diva. <laughs> uh, in a sense, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is the person who wants everything to be about them. They, at any point, take over the role playing or the fighting or whatever. Whenever they can get the spotlight on them, they'll take it. I think everyone at some point has to deal with a diva. Uh, just in the sense that at some point, I think there's always going to be someone whose character is more active in social situations. You have the quote-unquote party face. You have someone that might simply just have, be, have more interest in the story. But where it really becomes a problem with a diva is that every single situation has to be about them. Even a situation that they're not in, for instance, like someone goes to talk to someone in another room. The player say, who's the diva says, oh, I, I walk into that room and now I'm talking to that person too. And then they take control of the conversation. Right. It's basically they're everywhere. They're omnipresent. They're in every conversation. They have to be. It has to be about them. Right. Uh, I was playing a game with a first-time GM, and I think a lot of mistakes that are going to happen from him just been for his first time. But there was a person there who was first-time role-playing, and boy, they found out they loved it, and they always had conversations and things that they were very interested in, so they were always uh, being the diva. Always all, everything, all the attention was focused on them. But the rest of the party wanted the attention too. It wasn't just like, okay, well, you know, let this person. I'm cool with it. Even I was trying to do things, and the, sometimes the GM would like kind of address me a little bit, then go back to the diva. What I should have done retrospectively is afterwards talk to the GM and say, hey, you know, address the concern with him. Hey, you know, I I, I try to role play sometimes, and I noticed that you kind of just kind of skip me over. That would have been the right thing to do, right? Um, but instead, I just kind of sat there and silently, we all just got upset about it that this one person was taking over the whole game, and we just wanted to do we wanted to be part of the story as well. Once this being a problem is brought to the DM, I feel like it's a very easy issue for the DM to handle in game, simply by the fact that not every NPC is going to be content with just talking to one person if they're talking to the group. Sometimes they're going to want to interact and hear the opinions of other characters, and it's on the DM to specifically try to talk to that other character. Maybe they don't want to talk to the diva. They already heard what the diva has to say. Let me hear what you have to say over there. Let me hear what you have to say. Mm -hmm. and, and don't mistake this for the, the GM just not giving uh, one person uh, enough time during the conversation. What I mean by that is this. If you have a group of five or six players, it is difficult to just have one person talk for a while. And you might feel like, man, I can't roleplay right now. It's because he's trying to roleplay with six people. He might, you know, concentrate on four and accidentally neglect you for that one conversation. That's kind of a different issue. It just comes born of there's six players. And what am I supposed to do from one person trying to talk to six people? This is definitely that I'm focusing on one. The GM is focusing on one player. That's the diva. The diva is taking, taking that attention. Not always just the GM focusing. Sometimes the diva trying to get it. And at a game, talking to the diva, again, showing her how it's hurting. Diva just makes me think of a girl. Uh, showing her how it's hurting everyone else. And I think if you talk to them, like, an easy way to solve this, talking to the person that's a diva, is say, hey, like, try and include other people in the role-playing. Talk to their characters. Don't necessarily talk to the NPCs. Ask other players to interject. To Definitely. say they're... Talk to your character. What a great solution, because now the other player ha can talk if they want to, because now you've asked them a direct question. Can this be good? You would think no, but yes, it can be. You're talking about like that, that party leader, that party face. Often one player or one character kind of becomes the face of the party, kind of spearheads interactions with people they don't know and stuff like that. Uh, the diva is usually that person. So it's good to have that person who wants to do it, steps forward and wants to be that person. And and I think sometimes if like you have a group where not a lot of them are RPing and it's just one person RPing, you're like, 
you mistakenly label that person the diva. That's just uh, a result of nobody else wants to RP. Then that person's not being a diva. Nobody else wants to pull, uh, wants to role play. And that's a case of you have an interesting mix of characters, of players. You try to create player groups, at least I do when I select who I GM for, that all are there for the same thing. I'm not having an antagonist and a diva and uh, a lump, which you'll find out in a second, because all of those require different kind of GMing. If I had all antagonists, I know how to GM it. If I have all divas, I know how to GM it. If I have all lumps, I don't know how to GM it, actually. <laughs> I don't know how to GM that. Uh, but the point is when you have that mix, so if you had this mix where one person's being a diva because nobody else wants to role play, you realized, oh no, I'm in a group where no one wants to role play. I need to have less role play and more combat because they're here for the combat. Entrepreneur. Now this is the guy who's taking them ladders, taking off them runs, and sound off them ten, two 10-foot poles. Entrepreneur is one of the most annoying on the list for me because it's one of the only ones where you're still playing the game in a legitimate fashion, but being as boring as possible. (laughs) The entrepreneur basically focuses on the finance sides of the Pathfinder game mechanics. They want to pick up all the items and they want to sell every item. Whenever they sell something, they want to talk to the shopkeeper and they want to make a bargain of some kind. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember you mentioning to me that the book gives rules about how to barter. And then, like, after paragraphs of rules, at the end it says, but don't do this. It's boring. <laughs> it's so boring. Like, of all the things for you to do as an adventure, you're hacking and slashing and you're interacting with, hacking? like. I'm getting into the network. <laughs> but no. I this... see the CCTV. I know. I can see all the security cameras. I know how to get in. The entrepreneur wants to play eve online with spreadsheets and manage the entire pool of money and have the most income per risk and equity and it's i I have had experience with an entrepreneur before really was like now i have to preface this with the player was an amazing player probably one of the best players i have ever played with they were really good at role playing they had a really great character everything they said was interesting and they had no other problems but (laughs) We were part of like an adventuring guild and we were trying to break off into our own guild. So every single time that we went to sell something, this character, they were um, the prestige class noble scion. So they were like supposed to be royalty. He would go to the shopkeeper and start trying to strike a deal like, hey, we're starting up a guild. How about we have this thing where we get some cut of what we sell back to you and it would go on for like 10, 20, 30 minutes and we'd all be sitting there like, are we really doing this right now? Yeah, let me guess. If I looked across the table, everyone's head is in their hand and he's the only one engaged. It was uh, it was online, but oh, okay. it was like the online version of that where you might <laughs> as well just put your microphone on mute and go browse Reddit while they're talking. <laughs> right. And, and another thing with this, it's not necessarily the finance of it, but the character also had leadership. No, the feet. The feet. Le- they the noble scion class gets leadership, and he had like a really stacked version of leadership. So he had like a secondary person's whose stats that he took care of, and he had a group of lackeys following us and helping us with a lot of stuff. And like, even though it's not technically entrepreneur because it's not finance. There was all that micromanaging he was doing in the game. I think first-time GMs and players almost universally make this mistake. You go to a a blacksmith, whatever, and you barter because, like, this is your first time role-playing, and that's what you do. Uh, And that's okay. You kind of learn from it. Uh, But to to kind of fix that problem in my game, I give base price for everything. Because when I used to give, like, a little more expensive, then, you know, that only encourages bartering. Like, oh, yeah, well, let me barter to get it down to the base price, right? So just give the base price for everything. And uh, there's an optional rule set, which I use. We'll talk about in-house rules. Oh, another episode you should listen to coming up. Uh, 
where there's a tax and essentially like you pay x amount of gold a month and then everything that's like 10 gold or cheaper is free that we don't have to worry about the minutia this isn't a shopping simulator i guess it can be if you really want to make it that way but most players don't want it to be a shopping simulator and again the entrepreneur is hurtful when it takes away everyone else is just waiting to get onto the next thing and this one guy kind of like the diva is taking up 20 minutes of our shared session together we have to respect each other's time we're all sacrificing to be here we need to have a level of respect for that can this be good definitely the player i mentioned like i said they were an amazing player one thing they did is that they had a slush fund you no know, they'd ask for x amount of gold from every character every day and they'd have a little slush fund and they, they would use that to buy like cure wands and potions and stuff that we would need and he took complete care of that and whenever we had to buy stuff they'd be like okay we can use this money from that and he handled it completely and that was really neat i really like that uh, I had uh, players who, you know, their part of the story, the beginning of the story was their parents died and the parents owned a blacksmith arena and got given to them. So they would occasionally go back to it and just give a little management, but they handled it very well. If they hired a guy to take care of it, they would just come once in a while to like collect the profits or to get something repaired or to just talk about it a little bit. They didn't collect every piece of armor they saw on the battlefield and bring it back and say, hey, I got more metal for you. And then try to negotiate what's the base price going on right now with the rest of the blacksmiths in the city and go explore everybody's prices and do that. They handled it very well and it became kind of you know a reward for them. They got items cheaper and they got a little bit of a new income and they got to, that connection to their past, their parents giving them that blacksmithery kind of became an emotional thing for them. And it worked out, I think, pretty well. That little bit in the middle you mentioned is where entrepreneur can get a little morbid in that it's also when they take literally everything off of corpses. Right. Like they just killed this guy and they're like, ooh, what size boots he got? Are they nice boots? Let me check that out. Let me check his teeth. Does he have any gold fillings? Ooh. I'll rep them out. Right. Like, oh, I'll take the shirt. I'll literally leave the entire body naked and take every single thing off this body that I can. Not to say that you can't have like some sort of pirate or beggar character who mm -hmm. who kind of like does that but there's like the level of gross detail in which you do it to everyone that it becomes a problem in game there is a kind of a a, a light patch you can do you, know, you can patch the game you can <laughs> a hot fix uh you can kind of gloss over things like does he have equipment you just say yeah you collect these things from the corpses and it kind of skips over going over every corpse mm -hmm. like you could collect three breastplates and two short swords whatever i don't know what the other people had and one of the things you mentioned that helps keep this from happening is having base prices don't really make haggling something that needs to be done in the first place just right. to get fair prices yep because that's not interesting if you have a store like the guys did they hired somebody hire somebody to take care of it and and give them the short details whenever they come and ask them for info at a game it's the same thing as everybody else talk to them tell them how they're hurting the rest of the people's game flake oh the flake this is the guy that doesn't show up all too often you never know when he's gonna come and not to the level of everyone. Sometimes people, you know, every once in a while we make that mistake. But this is the guy who consistently doesn't come on time or doesn't come up with little to no notice. This one's a really big problem for me because as we mentioned in the beginning, this is something that I lay down in my ground rules. Or when I run a campaign, I really take attendance seriously. So this is one that I do not tolerate personally. And I think everyone has to deal with this at some point. I had to kick a player out uh, who was a flake. I think this is a good example to kind of talk about. Um, it was to no fault of his. He had a troubled home. 
he really wanted to be there. He had fun with it, but he just sometimes couldn't escape his house. Couldn't like he he would sneak out to play with us, which I didn't know at the beginning, by the way. Um, and so sometimes he wouldn't show up. He would show up late and all that stuff. And so I sat down with everyone except him, which was easy because he wasn't there. <laughs> and I and I addressed the group and I said, "This is bothering me personally. It's hard for me to plan around a guy that might may or may not be here. What do you guys feel?" And they all agreed it was also bothering them because when he came in late and stuff, I had to kind of like shoo him shoehorn him in the story or while he's not there I had to have like this random guy who's just following them not doing anything it's cool to do once in a while if a player can't be there but if you're doing it every time it becomes weird kind of mm-hmm. and uh, they all kind of agreed and I talked to him they were closer friends to him than I was and I asked him like what do you think we should do about it and they're all trying to be nice and 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 uh you know I, I was definitely leaning more towards I'd like to to ask him not to play anymore if he can't be consistent and they were like we, we still want him to play in some way kind of all that social aspect of having him there so the solution i said all right fine how about this if he if he attends we'll do a sort of i'll give him like an npc or something to play while he's here instead of a, a player character then the story won't revolve so much around him when he's gone won't be as much of a problem for me because i gotta i gotta make stories and stuff based on players and if they're if mm-hmm. i don't know whether they're not there i can't do that uh, and they all thought that was a good solution. And next time he was there, I talked to him by myself, without the group, just with me. And that way I kind of became the bad guy a little bit, if I even became the bad guy. Talked to him, put forward, hey, these are the reasons why it's kind of difficult you're not being here. How would you feel about being an NPC? He said, okay, cool. And he kind of just didn't show up anymore. Uh, he just kind of left. And that's what happened. He was, he's gone now. And so that that's kind of a, it was, it was difficult always to have those conversations, but it produced good results. And there were, I don't think there's any hurt feelings in the end. The one thing you mentioned in that, like, the player characters have a part in the story. Sometimes the flake misses and you have a portion of the story they're either approaching or are in the middle of that revolves heavily around them. That might mean that no one can play that night. That's happened to me before. I had, they were in the middle of something dealing with someone's family. And they were kind of right in the middle of it. And then that player said, oh, I can't, I can't make it tonight. I was like, oh, well, then we can't really have the campaign because we're literally just talking to your father and brother the whole time. Right. In-game... Just uh, as a GM, make sure your plans and stuff don't revolve around them ever. You know, if they're there, they'll, they'll participate in stuff, but nothing that's focusing with their family and stuff like right. that. Well, the player wasn't a perpetual flake. I just meant that as an example. Right, if exactly. that player was the flake, then that might mean that might happen a lot right. if you and, plan around them. And sometimes you have to, you, you learn that they're the flake after a bit, and then you have to adjust things. You mm-hmm. don't know if the beginning of this guy's going to be a flake. Uh, is there any redeemable qualities to the flake? They have a social life, which is cool, I guess. <laughs> Spoken like a true nerd. I <laughs> means they have better stuff to do. I guess that's cool, but no. Then like, hanging out with friends, what better thing is there to do, Christian? <laughs> uh, no, could, there's I not. There's, think of a few things. There's not, <laughs> there's not a lot of redeemable qualities of the flake. Try not to be that guy. And like you said, you might have to kick them out. I had to threaten to kick someone out before because they were being a flake in my campaign. A couple sessions in a row, it was like, oh, my friend's visiting from Alabama. I can't make it today. Oh, my parents asked me to come do this thing with them. I can't make it today. And after like three times in a row, I was like, okay, look, I understand when things like this happen. But if you have to cancel last minute on us again, I'm going to have to kick you out of the campaign because I can't miss this many sessions in a row. I want to finish this campaign this year. Right. And, you know, I think there might be, I don't know if that's exactly the way you said it to him. might be a, a little bit nicer way to phrase it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, instead of like kicking out such a strong word, um, something like, my, you know, maybe you, you shouldn't play anymore if you're not going to be able to be there. It's, you know, stuff like that. I don't know. I think softer, general words can just generate a gentler response sometimes. Well, it's not, I don't think I'd use the word kick out. I think I said right. I'd ask you not to come. I'd have to ask right, you not yeah. to come anymore. I said I'm going to kick you out. Then it starts becoming like, well, what right do you have? 
Did you ask the rest of the group? And then they come, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Glass Jaw. This is the guy who has a flaw that constantly is showing itself. A lot of times it's going to be combat-centric. Uh, the person has, like, they can do this thing, but they all, they really, really have, a, like, three AC, so they always get hit by weapons. This means a crippling weakness. Glassjaw means that the character has some sort of crippling weakness that stops them from achieving character potential. The book has a good way to solve this. The book says that uh, just try to hook Glassjaw up with the Power Gamer, which we'll learn in a bit. The Power Gamer's going to be all over that, like, oh, you want me to optimize his character? I'm on that, son. Uh, that is assuming that the glass jaw is a newer character, which sometimes the glass jaw can be a newer character. They're not really sure how to build a character, and they have this horrible weakness that they weren't aware of. Like, their will save is a plus zero, and they right. realize that that's really bad. It could also be an advanced player who's trying to either A, nerf themselves so that suppose they're playing with other players that aren't advanced. Maybe they're trying to play a weaker character to try and compensate for that so they don't overshadow other people. Right. Or maybe they're just trying something. Like they just want to kind of do something completely out of the box that they haven't tried before. And it just ends up being having a horrible weakness and they think they can play around it because they're an advanced player. Right. So yeah, and that, and that can work. You got to rely on how good they are uh, to do that. And know your player. Know your player, know your GM. Uh, word in Trailblazers, I wouldn't call him a glass jaw to his face, but I'd do it behind his back. No, <laughs> I wouldn't call him a glass jaw. He didn't have like a glaring weakness, but he was weaker than the other characters. Uh, he kind of picked a bard, and the stats were kind of... He became a jack-of-all-trades, master-and-none kind of deal. So he kind of ended up being kind of a guy that couldn't really do any physical damage. He always had to rely on all his spells and performances and stuff like that. So I think maybe if, if you listen to Trailblazers, you might find out when you listen, take a listen to when he does battles and stuff, and you could find an example there, a soft example. Let's talk about the loner. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> the loner. This is the guy who, is everyone asleep? Yes. Okay, I'd like to get up. Oh no, what's happening here? And then they spend the next 40 minutes talking about how they're doing stuff while everyone else is asleep. This is the guy who's all the time going out by himself. Or worse, in combat, you guys go right, I'll take the left route. Are, are, are you sure you might? Yes. Okay, here we go. And he's going out all himself. On a dungeon designed to fight four people, he goes and encounters by himself. There's a reason that don't split the party is like the catchphrase of all tabletop role-playing games, and this person does exactly that. They're kind of breaking the number one spoken rule. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ways to nix this. Uh, the number one I want to bring up is that you said combat. Sometimes they'll wander off yeah. and hit a combat encounter. And you, you'll see them walking up to it, and they'll, you'll be like, oh my goodness, they're going to die immediately, and it's going to be so unfair because I designed this for four people. You have to to kill if they're going to die you kind of have to do it you have to not pull punches right otherwise they'll keep doing it and i'm not saying kill your characters to solve problems but right. if they're specifically doing this breaking away from the group finding a combat encounter and not immediately running from it if they're going into a scenario where they would die don't pull your punch and it, that's still not the greatest way to deal with it because when someone realizes that they're going to die, they're going to pull out all the stops yep. and they're going to take even more time to make sure that they try and stay alive. And if they get out of it, then, oh, my goodness, they're going to do it again. Yeah, we'll be talking about that a lot in character death. I th This happened to me. The player had they were a bit of a diva. This kind of goes with diva sometimes. They like to be yeah. the center of attention. They had fallen down a hole, and they, they were in the middle of this whole thing with zombies and ghouls. And if you don't know ghouls in Pathfinder, they're pretty threatening. They're kind of weak on their own, but their big thing is that they can paralyze you if they hit you, and then you basically instantly die because you get coup de gras after you're paralyzed. So they fell down this hole. What's coup de gras? Look up our previous episode <laughs> on combat. <laughs> Martial combat. They fall down this hole, 
and the other players can't get to them. We're like, we're going to find a way around. We're going to come down to you. You wait there. And they're like, okay. And then they see a door and they're like, mm, I'm going to go through that door. And I'm like, okay, there's a stairwell going down. I'm going to go down that stairwell. Okay. At the bottom of the stairwell, there's three ghouls and they didn't instantly run away. And I kind of just, after they initiated it, like they kind of kept walking and got noticed by them. I didn't immediately initiate combat. I kind of let them run away. And we did this like cinematic kind of runaway thing. I really regret that because like I said, ghouls are supposed to be the scary thing where if you get surrounded by them, if you get caught alone by them, that's when they're most threatening. And that kind of took away the fear of the ghouls because they're like, oh, well, the player just ran away and nothing really happened. And now we have nothing to fear from these weak creatures. And now he's going to do it again. Like I said, I really regretted that afterwards because like that kind of ruins the suspension of disbelief mm. that, oh, I can't really die. I'm a player character, whatever. And it's hurting everyone else because everyone else isn't doing something while he's doing something. When your groups, when your party's in a group, when you role play, everyone's there participating. When you split the party, when the guy's being a loner, it's sometime with him, sometime with everyone else. And that's, again, disrespectful to everybody's time. Can this be a redeeming quality? Yes, if handled well. I myself had a character who was addicted to drugs but didn't want anyone else to know about it. So he would, in the middle of the night, sneak out, go like, to some seedy drug den, get the drugs, come back, make the stealth checks, hoping nobody will notice him. It was quick. It was short. It was interesting. Didn't happen often. So that was didn't take away. Didn't have the problem of no one else gets to role play. It's only a couple minutes. Quick in and out. And it was something interesting that later on the players could discover like, hey, what's this? Oh, oh, don't look in there. Oh, no. <laughs> Maxim Magazine. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's all that's in there. <laughs> it's healthy to have a hidden portion of your character and something that not everyone knows because you're constantly in front of the party. Everything you do is kind of out in the open. And the tendency of loner is kind of like a natural instinct to, well, sometimes I don't want people to know exactly what I'm doing, so I'm going to step over here for a minute. And that's perfectly fine. But when it's coming to A, combat, and B, doing it too often and taking too much of the time of the DM and everyone else is when it's really a problem. Yeah. Now, there are some things that lend themselves to like the loner you have to do something with just that person and the way i handle it as i say afterwards we'll handle this over facebook or something we'll message each other over email or we'll just do it personally you and i together later to not take up everyone else's time you just have to be as a gm willing to put in that extra time right but i've done that a lot of times pretty much with every sexual encounter i'm like let's do this <laughs> between you and me later um oh <laughs> after <laughs> after i light <laughs> some candles and pour some wine no uh let's... i hope you're in character <laughs> I actually dress exactly as the character. <laughs> Hi, I'm Caleb. And I'm Dom. And I'm David. And we're a part of the Trailblazers podcast. What is Trailblazers, you're asking yourself right now? Well, our podcast is difficult to describe. Yeah, it's kind of like a Senate meeting, except with less filibusters and more rolling for initiative. It's like going to the movies, except instead of watching professional actors create compelling storylines, you're listening to a bunch of guys just pretending to be professional actors. It's sort of like going skiing with your friends. If your friends are able to cast spells, wield swords, and there was no skiing involved. It's like going to court, but with less arguing and... Wait, no. There's probably about the same amount of arguing. It's like going to the bank, but instead of tellers behind the windows, it's just three guys role-playing. So if any of that sounds good to you, then you'll love our actual play podcast where we get together and play the Pathfinder role-playing game. We'd love to have you guys join us every Tuesday right here on the Trailblazer Network. Hope to see you there. So wait, it's just a couple of guys playing Dungeons and Dragons? No, 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 are no, you no. crazy? It's called Pathfinder. What, are you trying to get us sued? Uh, let's talk about the lump. My favorite! Yay! <laughs> I said my antagonist is my least favorite. This is my second least favorite. 
The lump is the guy that is there, but he's not really participating. Not to say that when he's not called on in his turn in combat, he doesn't take combat. And uh, if he's specifically addressed in roleplaying that he doesn't respond, it's just that the short answers. He doesn't initiate any sort of roleplay. He doesn't really get like, if you see what is his favorite part, it's kind of like, oh, wait, no, I'll tell you what his favorite part is. His favorite part is the social aspect of being with the group. That's his favorite part. He's not really participating in the story. He's participating in the social event. It's so frustrating because it's not really grounds for kicking someone out of a game, but then it, why are you there? <laughs> like, you yeah, I don't, I don't. highlighted his face. Why are you there? <laughs> You're not playing the game. It's someone that's just basically not playing the game. And I just don't understand. Like, yeah, there's a social aspect, but we can't really break away from the game to do other stuff. And yeah, it's a real tough one. Like you said, it's not grounds for kicking somebody out. How do I... This one, I can't tell you what the solution is in-game. You've, you've had one, right? Yes. I, I, we both had one. Yes. And there's no in-game solution. I tried things. I tried, like, putting stuff in from his backstory, having his family show up, and didn't Are care. Are we the same person? <laughs> it's, a, it's the person I'd mentioned earlier where we were in the middle of the story with their father and brother, and I've put in his family and his backstory as much as I can, and just like, eh. He's like, okay, yeah, I'll just kind of. Which ends up being the opposite of what you need to do. You need to not have any storylines focused around them. This, that's not the solution to make them stop being a lump. It's the solution to make sure it doesn't hurt the rest of the players. Uh, don't have any storylines focused around him. Don't have a lot of things specifically for him. The book talks about have NPCs direct, uh, interact directly with him where he's unable to defer to others. And I don't like that solution because you're forcing somebody to do something they don't want to do. Right. There's a difference between kind of showing somebody how they're hurting others and forcing somebody to do something that they're not comfortable with, which isn't fun for them. Grab them by the shoulders. Be like, talk to me. <laughs> Tell me your name. <laughs> That's not fun. It's not why we're here. We're all here to have fun in the way that we are enjoying it. Uh, and there's no fun if somebody likes to combat. It's not fun to be like, yeah, but I'm going to make you role play for five hours. Ugh. Like, that's not the way to do it. So I'm actually not super cool about that one. At a game, there's no solution. Just talk to him like, hey, I tried it. Make make yourself better. Like, yeah, you, <laughs> Christian, why don't you talk about how you afterwards talk to him? I caught this person like playing a game on their laptop, which is a multitasker, which we'll talk about later. But in addition to being a lump, he was also a multitasker. I talked to him afterwards after a few sessions of him not doing anything. I think one session he literally put his head on the table and didn't take it back up for like 10 minutes. And everyone was just kind of like, what's going on? And I talked to him. I was like, look, is there something I have to do as your GM to make the game more interesting to yeah. you? Because it feels like I'm not really getting a response from you when we do this role playing stuff. And he's like, no, this is like my favorite thing I do all week. Like I requested a day off for work for this. Like this is my day off. I love doing this is what I look forward to every week. And I really enjoy it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> no, I can never kick you out. It's like a little like a little kitten goes up to you. It's like, oh, I have to yeah. be yours now. You have to be mine now. Yeah, there's what do you do? I think the only solution to to fix this at all is you have to catch it before it happens it's the only solution and that's really hard because you have to know it beforehand you have to know the person beforehand so like your solution is you probably wouldn't invite them to another session if you're running something else mm -hmm. that's the only solution to this it's a very interesting one that's difficult and often like this is the friend of the whole group you're, you're all friends here exactly and, and you're, you're, they enjoy having them there everybody enjoys having them there and interacting with them at a game 
and just being there. But uh, when it comes to him playing the game, he's not hurting anybody. <laughs> and I think part of the problem is, at least with my players, that it's not the type of campaign they were expecting. They usually play quirkier characters and quirkier campaigns that are a bit more LOL random, whereas this was more serious. I don't think it was the atmosphere they were expecting, which might contribute to the problem. Mm-hmm. But then again, that's something I clearly laid out when the campaign started. I said this is the kind of campaign it is. So is there a redeeming quality to the lump? No, uh, never. I, mean, I disagree. I mean, I agree. <laughs> Let's talk about the one-trick pony. This is the guy who I cast... <laughs> I cast... Uh, What's the gaseous cloud and black tentacles? And that's what I do every battle, all the battles, all the time, every time. You have a one mechanic or one one specific thing that you do all the time, and that's how you win everything. That's how you win at life. Every time you get into a sort of, you know, skill check encounter, you're like, oh yeah, well, I read his thoughts because I read his thoughts all the time. That's what I do, and I influence his thought. My thought magic. I'm thought magic, 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 magic. And it's typically one trick pony is when it's a very powerful mechanic, like the gaseous cloud, black tentacles. If it's not flying, that usually destroys everything. There's really no counter to it. Right. Um, this one, be careful when I say one trick pony, I don't just mean like the guy, man, all he ever does is he goes and gets sneak attack damage. Well, yeah, it's, he's a rogue. <laughs> that's how he deals combat. Like that's not the one trick pony. Like you said, it's something problematic happens every time is, is, is difficult to work around. Um, it's something that only has counters that are hard counters, like in that example, counterspelling them are just having to fight people that are covered in grease and have gas masks so they can't be grappled and they can <laughs> right. breathe. Uh, believe it or not, in Trailblazers, somebody gets a gas mask for like five sessions. <laughs> you'll, you'll, there's a little tease for you to figure out how that happens. Uh, the way to figure out is if the person is being one trick ponies, you ask yourself, is this a problem? Is everybody else still having fun? If you find out, yes, it's a problem, you guys just cloud black tentacles and none of else really get any sort of combat. Yeah, everyone else is like, I don't really feel like I'm doing anything in combat when they do that because I just kind of sit back and let them take care of it. Right, then you know you've gotten a problem. Um, In-game, there's a few ways to kind of handle it. I think a lot of times it's Band-Aid, but we'll talk about it anyway. Uh, you can counter his combo. So, uh, so for example, if it's Gaseous Cloud or whatever, you know, um, the next guy they fight has... Um, What's the thing? Freedom of movement on him at all times. Can walk right through the tentacles, something like that. Uh, but that'll only like help once or twice. They're still gonna do it afterwards. Right. You can have him face himself. Now, this is a problem I had. I had uh, somebody in who was a synthesis summoner, and uh, didn't know about it at the time, guys. If you don't know, it's an unbalanced class and archetype combo. And he, I was like, I came to a bunch of GMs at the college, and I said, what do I do about this one guy? He, he's wrecking all the combat encounters. And your guys' suggestion, like you specifically said, have him face himself. Now, why'd you get that suggestion? Looking back, I don't think it's a great solution. You typically don't want to try and overpower people, but just to show people exactly what they're doing, because they don't understand it. Maybe they're not taking a step out and looking at themselves from the outside. If they see how their character actually interacts with the world, if they see how a synthesis summer, what it's like to fight against one, they'll be like, oh, wow, this actually is really stupid. And unfun. Yeah. I see how everyone else is not having fun now. It's a good one-time shot. It'll do better than any explanation we'll ever do, having them experience the, the unfun. Shoot black tentacles and gaseous cloud at your spellcaster. People know how to, that's a really powerful thing. Other spellcasters hear about it. They're like, I'm going to look up how to cast those spells. I'm going to find a scroll and I'm going to write it down in my book. I'm going to cast it at them. Right. That's what he gets for killing all my friends. Or they're in some side, some sort of temple, some shadow realm temple, and shadow versions of themselves come out and they have to fight them. Uh, one of the best examples of handling this in-game I ever heard came from, I forget which podcast, some podcast I was listening to or talk. The guy said, well, I just have smart villains. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, you fight some goblins and one escapes 
it makes all the sense in the world that that goblin comes back to his the big bad guy and says, oh my gosh, you should have seen what happened. There was tentacles and gas everywhere. I don't know what to do. I barely escaped my life. And then the, the evil guy goes, hmm, interesting. So then when they come in the next encounter, he casts freedom of movement on all an air bubble on all his guys. It's not, a, you know, your player can't be like, you just, what's this, all of a sudden they have this? It's like, yes, and you'll find out why if you keep playing. All of a sudden you'll find out there's some smart guy behind this all that decided, that figured out how to stop you. And then now your player has to come up with other things to win that encounter. And they might even find something they enjoy better. Like, oh, wow, it's actually more fun to do all this other varied things. The wizard's just going to run up and punch them. <laughs> Take that. Um, but never, ever, ever counter it by just saying, it doesn't work. Uh, there's an anti-magic field. Nope. Don't do that. <laughs> Big red flag. Don't do that one. That's unfun for everyone involved. Now you're being unfun. I kind of did this wrong and i know i wish you go back in time and do it right i had a player who was a ninja became invisible they had no money became invisible went to the alchemist shop stole potions like free potions all the time I'm like oh no they broke the game so what i did which is not the way to do it is at a game later on i talked to him i said you know that's a little unbalanced so if you could just not do it su- super often maybe like once a week or something or once a session uh would that be okay and he said okay but honestly the real way i should have fixed it was a suggestion you gave he said the alchemist noticed that his potions keep disappearing. So he puts clearly mislabeled potions out there. Not ones that really hurt the guy, but do weird things. So he says potion of cure serious wounds. You know, the ninja steals it and he drinks it and all of a sudden he turns red. It's like, <laughs> what is happening? What happened? The alchemist gets his little his little laugh off and then you start, okay, I can't just steal things. I gotta, gotta do something better than that. It's not working anymore. Because I was he always stealing the same potion. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so he's stealing potions. the cures potions. Yeah. When he goes to bed at night, he le- he switches them all out with just the wrong potions. Right, right. You just go out of the game. You say, to the "Person, okay, all right. You won D anD D. You you figure, or you won Pathfinder. You figured out the cool thing that is really hard to counter that everyone usually dies to. Maybe now it's time to do something else. And sometimes the satisfaction of knowing I did it. I got. I found the thing that's really hard to beat. I found it awesome. They they get that satisfaction. And they can move on. And as someone who's kind of had to do something similar to a one-trick pony, I was a wizard, and I casted a lot of haste, and I I was basically a buff-based wizard. So I casted, like, haste every combat, because I had a bunch of martial characters, and it's what you do. And I would cast stone skin on them to make them very hard to kill. And I felt kind of bad, because I was literally casting stone skin every combat. So I decided not to do it one time, and then everyone almost died. (laughs) And I was like, oh, well, I guess I kind of have to keep doing that, because Pathfinder is a very unforgiving game. Mm -hmm. The reason people will cling to these combos is that they know that they work and having uncertainty in certain things means that everyone might die and i think that's okay because those spells weren't in any way circumventing the encounter or making it unfun for anybody or you know um throwing away the work the gm had put in just buffing people's ac and giving them an extra action doesn't throw anything super off balance mm-hmm. the buffing i don't think was soup was too bad as a, as a one trick pony goes it was it was just felt bad because i was doing it literally every fight. right you and want i was like i want to i want to cast some other spells sometimes right right so and, and you know it does have the redeeming quality of you have backup plan if the wizard says okay i won't do this every time they get into a rough encounter everybody's dying he's like fine time to break it out gaseous cloud black tentacle skies let's get out of here that's has something in your back pocket that's okay I mean, it means that the player knows how to play the game. I mean, the combos don't make themselves up. They know what they're doing. 
and they have a good, clear character idea that says I, they were smart enough to figure this out. Definitely. Let's talk about the Multitask Master. This is the guy that has his 3DS, his smartphone, his laptop, and a book out while playing the game. <laughs> the uh, the title is oh, a misnomer. I'm sorry, and your PSP. Like, I'm sure there's somebody out there who still uses that. PS Vita. Oh, Vita. Is the newest what's the, one. What's the, is that PSP, like, really old? No, it's the new one. Oh, the new one's the PSP. Vita. What's the PSP? It's the old one. That's what I was asking. Yes. Who's on first? P- Wait, what? What's on second? No. <laughs> I don't know. It was he's on third. Uh, yeah. The title is a misnomer. If they were a multitasking master, I wouldn't be bothered by them multitasking because I wouldn't notice. But pro- the problem is when they're multitasking and then it starts cutting into the game, you have to be like, hey, put that down. Right. I've walked over. And I think you've had this experience, too. And you're looking at, are, are you... Are you playing a game? Is, is that Bioshock? Put that away. <laughs> right. Like the highest insult is if somebody's like playing another game. Yeah. No, I was the person was sitting right next to me and they started up like Star Wars, the old Republic, whatever the <laughs> MMO is called. And I was like, are you seriously doing this right now? <laughs> I was. It was like in plain view of me. Right. <laughs> there was a the game that I quit. Uh, that I talked about a little bit earlier. Instead of talking to Jim, I just quit because I'm like, hey, I'm not having fun. I'm not spending more time doing this. Um, I didn't say it to him. That's just my, my mental thinking of it. When I, I, I left and all that, later on the finale, I was getting Skype messages from everyone, but individually, not in group chat, Facebook and Skype messages from each of the players. And each of them were, t- were telling me, boy, I wish everyone would stop being on their laptops, just focus on the finale. And I'm like, you all are talking to me right now. Do you all see this? And, and and the idea from that was the problem wasn't that everyone was on their laptop. The problem was that the finale was boring. No offense to this GM. It was his first time GM, but he made some basic mistakes. Uh, he had two new characters, two new players join on the finale. He had different interesting things. That, I don't want to get through the specifics of it, but he did some things that just made it boring. And that was the fundamental problem. It was boring. So people looked for other things to do. If your thing's engaging, that people are having fun, you know your players and you're making the kind of game that you know they would enjoy. If it's somebody likes role playing, you have a role playing campaign. If somebody's like combat, it's a lot of dungeon crawl, whatever it is. If they're having fun, you'll find that often they won't be going to look for other things to do. They won't be multitasking because they're engaging and having fun with the thing you're putting forward. I mean, like, the players individually each came up to me afterwards and said, when we play your campaign later, I I want to go back to character sheets instead of having our our PC for Hero Lab just so that we are focused. That's not the solution. The solution is figure out what what your players want to have fun and do that. You have to be able to analyze yourself as a GM, and sometimes the people are doing this, it is symptoms of a larger problem. They might be multitasking because what you're doing isn't engaging to them. And then there's a differential between that and someone who legitimately just isn't paying attention and is doing their own thing. You have to be able to notice the difference between the two, and that's pretty tough. In the end, it's a matter of respect. If you are doing other things, you're saying to me, the GM, I don't appreciate what you're doing. I don't care. And that's hurtful. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you, I don't think you often think you're doing that on purpose, whatever, but you need to notice that, listen, guys, right now, as players, hear this, hear me listening, realize ahead of time, that is what you're saying. So, uh, you know, fixing it in game, like we were talking about, you know, figuring out what in the campaign would interest them and focus on that more, learning about your players and how to tailor the game to them. At a game, uh, I think what you did is actually pretty effective. You almost kind of embarrassed him. I don't even know if you meant to, but you're like, what are you doing? Immediately, they're going to know they're doing something wrong. They're not going to be like, what? I don't see a problem here. You, they're going to be like, oh, okay. And you know, everyone else kind of like, they know they're doing something wrong and everyone else saw that, that that might help. It comes down to like your electronics policy when you start the game. Like if you have a bunch of people using Hero Lab, well, you kind of need 
laptops in that case or some sort of device. Um, sometimes it's people like on their phones texting. And in one case, one of my DMs uh, at the beginning of a session, after one session where people were always on their phones, he like brought a little basket. He said, everyone puts their phone in the basket, turn your phone, I'll put it in the basket. We're playing without them tonight. Right. He hasn't had to do it since because everyone got the message like, right. okay, we can't be on our phones. Right while playing and of course i wasn't i wasn't on my phone guys it wasn't me good job christian <laughs> I, I have to bring that up i'm perfect <laughs> is there a perfect category for me is that the next one? <laughs> oh, there's a category for you uh is this is there redeemable qualities to this yes there is i want to talk about how i run my games or at least how i used to uh, i run kind of shorter games now but i used to run eight hour long games and we did it four times a week or four times a month. I was about to say, wow, yeah. <laughs> full-time job. <laughs> At the beginning, we did it twice a week. Uh, so that was eight times a month, but that only lasts like a month, maybe two. So we played really long sessions. I did not take away people's phones. I actually don't like that as a general rule, especially nowadays. You know, who knows what you need to be taught. You know, phones communicate with the world, whatever else you need to talk to. Eight hours of your life, you have other people you need to be interacting with, right. whatever, keeping people updated, texting, all that stuff. So I'm super cool people having their phones, opening up their laptops and stuff like that um, because I understand that we're in eight hours. I can't focus on the same thing for one hour, let alone <laughs> eight. I need I need to be multitasking myself. I, I, always ha I have two monitors here because I do two things at a time all the time, playing game, watching a video. So I understand that my players need to do other things as well. They're not going to just role play for eight hours. It's just that uh, it's all how it's done. Everyone understands we all respect each other. And uh, you know, I draw the line pretty much at playing another game. We generally don't play another game. So I've seen my players like sometimes do like a quick uh, game, uh, you know, like the, the, f the free to play games on your phone, like apps, Candy Crush. Yeah, apps, yeah. stuff like that um, in between turns. If we have like a lot of people, we had five people. So sometimes turns around would take a long time. As uh, long as at their turn, they knew what they were doing. They were ready to go. Or while we were playing, there was never a point. They're like, huh, what happened? Oh, I missed it. Mm -hmm. As long as that didn't happen. I mean, we even had like a lunch break and then, you know, we all broke out, watched videos and stuff and would laugh at stuff that we wanted to show each other YouTube videos. That's cool and all that. But, you know, we were all just being responsible with it and not disrespectful with it. It helps stop people from becoming burnt out. As a DM, you can become burnt out by doing the same thing for too long. Players, the same thing can happen. It's very difficult to... Uh, we usually do four-hour sessions for us. Is that what you do now? Yeah. Even for straight four hours, we take a break because it's so hard to be in character for that long. So right. just going off to the side on a device, I think, is fine every once in a while. For the record, I would love to go back to eight hours. Eight hours is, is my favorite way to play, but with Trailblazers doing it online, it's just it lent itself to four hours, getting all of our schedules together. If I could role play as a full time job, I would. <laughs> that's if I could DM as a full time job, eight hours a day. That's essentially five what days I was doing. <laughs> It's the reason why I, I actually feel that I can do this podcast, even though I've only been a jam for like two years. It was front loaded. Like yeah. I spent a lot of time jamming. Let's talk about one that I think a lot of people have heard of called the Power Gamer or the Min Maxer. This is the guy who is outshining the team all the time because his character's doing a billion damage every turn. Uh, his, he's optimized. He's minimized his weaknesses, so there's really no avenue of attack you take against them that's effective. This, it's, it's a very clear-cut one, I think. Not everyone's had to deal with it, but you power gamer becomes more of a problem when it's in relation to the rest of the party. Right. Like, if you have a team full of those people, oh, that's fine. Everyone's yeah. got well-optimized character, but when you got one guy that's very well-optimized and the rest of the people are just kind of like, standard. you know, standard kind of, they have a few weaknesses they didn't, like, 
try and take away their own weaknesses, buff them up, that's when it becomes a big problem. Yeah, it's unfun. There are other players being outshined, kind of like with the one-trick pony. You go into a combat and you go, why are we even here? We'll just sit back. He's going to kill everybody. He knows how to do it. In-game, you can have him face himself. We talked about the, that earlier. At a game, it's the same as everything else. We talk about how he's ruining everyone else's fault. Uh, but make sure that's not your fault. Once this was my fault, I had everyone roll their their ability scores, and one guy just rolled really, really well. So afterwards, I fixed it. You know, this is, again, this is real early in my career. I said, we're going to use point by, which kind of evens things there. Make sure no one's really outshines everybody else when it comes to at least ability scores. And that kind of fixed the problem. It was my fault. So I went forward and I fixed it as the GM. You switched to the objectively correct way to make characters. Point by. <laughs> When it comes to dealing with a power gamer, this is something that I do. I don't think people necessarily agree with it. It's slightly controversial. I audit people's character sheets like once every two months or so. I mean, if you guys have leveled up like two or three times, I'm check people's character sheet to make sure everything's okay. And again, it's not that I don't think you know what you're doing, but even advanced players are prone to making mistakes. Like, hey, your attack bonus is slightly off here. Hey, that's not how that ability works. Hey, you accidentally took one extra feat. I've had characters whose sheet was perfect, but they just were reading it wrong. They were always using their highest attack bonus for all their iterative attacks. And it's mm -hmm. like, whoa, no, 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 no. Sometimes the power gamer isn't necessarily a, just a well-optimized person, but they might be misinterpreting something. There might be some calculation on their sheet that's wrong that they're using. They're like, oh, I'm sorry, I calculated that incorrectly. It doesn't necessarily mean they're like, I'm going to make the strongest character, and my will save is going to be like 28. Right. <laughs> They're using vital strike as every action is like, whoa, that's a standard action, bro. Oh, I didn't know. Right. Mm -hmm. Can this be a good thing? A power gamer is a redeemable quality to a power gamer. I definitely think so. I've always held the philosophy that having a powerful character is a very important part of a game like Pathfinder. That's high fantasy. You have to be able to have an effect on the world and being able to realize your idea of a powerful character is really important mechanically. You, you, it shows you understand the game and so that you can help others understand the game as well. And like you said, you can have a whole game of a bunch of power gamers. Didn't you have a session that was run like that? Right. Uh, we. <laughs> I was taking a break from running one of my campaigns. One of my players said, I'll run this thing I found online, uh, like 25 point by, make the most stupid broken character you can <laughs> possibly think of. We had people with enchantment DCs in almost the 30s. We had people with ACs in the 50s. We had people who were charging on Cavaliers for... 150 plus damage without critting a turn it was absolutely <laughs> silly and that that was a fun like little one shot thing because everyone was on the same level of right. broken <laughs> <laughs> now there is the rules lawyer this is the guy who rules is written everything i don't care about house rules because it's rules is written similar to how the continuity expert is someone who interjects into the game to tell you the lore is incorrect the rules lawyer is someone who interjects in the middle of the game to tell you that game mechanics are incorrect. Right. Uh, you know, say we, we didn't want to mess with the animal companion, uh, handle animal checks for pushing them to do different things. You're just like, yeah, you can call your dog to you. Well, no, no, no. He needs to make a handle animal companion check or handle animal check to get his companion to come to him. Because you, do you know that trick? I don't think you know that trick. I looked at your sheet. Uh, my voice is kind of nasally, Caleb. I don't like your representation of <laughs> the rules lawyer. <laughs> Um, I actually don't like your representation of the rules lawyer. <laughs> I have a big nose, and I wish I worked out. I don't have biceps or anything. I just a little, little scrawny just, little man. I will flex. And <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh wait! No, I'm gonna be blown away by the wind of you flexing. Have something to contribute? No, I'm, I'm angry now. 
gonna, I want to punch you with my muscles. There's <laughs> nothing more angry than somebody going, I'm angry now. <laughs> no, I am angry. Hulk angry now. There's another one where it's all about the attitude. Having someone that knows the game mechanics is really important. I'm that person at my table usually. If we don't know how something works, like, oh, what's the range increment of this weapon? Oh, it's this. What's the what's the rules of demons' immunities? That's oh, this. But I don't interject and be like, um, no, uh, DM, that's not how force push works. The demon can't cast force push. What are you stupid? Because that's like a level six spell, and we're level eight right now, and this is probably a CR 10 encounter at most, so there's no way they have that spell on their list. I had some guy cast inflict serious wounds from a distance having touching them just to make the encounter interesting. Somebody's like, I thought that was a touch spell. I'm like, yeah, no, it's a touch spell. He's got the reach mana magic for free. Shut up. <laughs> uh, but what you said was, was listen to Christian's example. It began with a question. Uh, how do you do this? And then Christian answered, you're being invited. I was invited to a game. First time I ever did this where I just joined a campaign off of, uh, I think Paizo's uh, website has forums where you can look for games and somebody was near me looking for a player who was, uh, you know, knowledgeable about the Pathfinder system because it was going to be their first time with Pathfinder. So I was invited under the auspices of, I know about the system. We will be asking you questions about the system when it comes up. And they ask me questions all the time. Generally, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Let me look it up. <laughs> anyway, but uh, you know, in that way, I'm invited. I've been asked the question. And like you said, I'm not just interrupting saying when I'm not asked. Now, if they're doing something wrong that you want to point out, you can still do it afterwards alone. Hey, Christian, I don't know if you knew. I don't have to touch you physically. This is an audio <laughs> Please podcast. don't. This is an audio <laughs> podcast. You guys don't hear when I when I touch your shoulder. Um, hey, Christian, I don't, I don't know if you know, but um, actually you can use a survival to track. And, and it actually, there's rules about tracking somebody on hard surfaces. So when John wanted to track the guy in the city, he actually could have. I talk about it after, privately, and that way later on he can decide, okay, I do want to do it that way. Or no, I still don't want him to be able to. That is his decision. And no one got embarrassed that way. Everything's still polite and respectful. I mean, GMs aren't perfect. Sometimes they will make mistakes. And You're not. Hey, did we get to, wait, Power Gamer, we skipped over perfect. We didn't talk about me <laughs> And sometimes they well, will... Well, I guess the diva, we didn't talk about you, Christian. What? Uh-oh, everything's got to be about you. Sometimes they'll make honest mistakes, and I think sometimes it's okay to point it out. Like, if they ask you to make a will save, for instance, and you'd be like, um, is this something special because I'm normally immune to mind-affecting things? And they might be like, oh, I'm sorry, I, f I forgot about that. Right. You don't have to make a will save then. Or they might be like, uh, actually, no, I still want you to make it. Okay. Yeah, okay. Just clarify, is this something that is going against the rules? And if so, yes, I'm fine with that. I just want to make sure. Right. So definitely a good aspect of this. Let's talk about the tag along. I want to read the description, uh, or at least a portion of the description the book has about the tag along. The tag along isn't so much a player type as he is a distraction. He might be the significant other of one of the players that shows up each week to spend quality time with his gaming better half. Perhaps he's a player's best friend from high school who's stopping over. Maybe he's even one of the player's children. Dun, dun, dun. No matter the relationship, the tag along is by definition bored by the game and serves as a distraction to the rest of the players. And uh, I think that's an apt description for the tag along. So this is a difficult one to talk about because it's sometimes unavoidable. Hey, we can only play if we meet at my house because I have the kids. The kids will be around every once in a while and have to dip out to take care of them or whatever. As long as everyone's okay ahead of time knowing about that, that can that can work out. You know, knowing going into that that that's going to be the case. Or, hey, well, she is my ride. And, you know, this is only four hours and we live an hour away, so it's not worth it for her to go home. Like when I drop my wife off to work, it's 20 minutes away. I'm not going to freaking stay there for eight hours while she's working. <laughs> I live close enough. It's, a, it's worth enough for me to come home. But it's not always the case. 
So it's not it's not you can't just like rule out no tag along. Sometimes you gotta make concessions. And the the book says that by definition they're bored. Keep that in mind. There are tag alongs that are fine. In the game that I'm DMing that Caleb's in, someone brought their girlfriend, they were their ride or something like that, and they came. Weren't a distraction at all, said almost nothing, just sat quietly and wasn't a problem. And that's fine. Asked ahead of time. Asked ahead come. of time, didn't just show up and be like, Oh yeah, by the way, they're there. And then recently I think uh, just like last week, we had somebody say, "Hey, can I bring this person?" The group was like, "No," because <laughs> <laughs> then it was um, it was going to be two tagalongs, and the table honestly was already kind of crowded. And then I thought maybe it might start talking, so I had to be like, "No, I'm sorry, right. that's a little bit too many people that aren't playing the game for me." I think the deal is in the end they need to have something to entertain them, and it can't be our game. If our game mm-hmm. is what's interesting to them, they'll be talking about it, doing things, but like, oh, you're distracting. Like the person that joined the game a couple weeks ago, that you're talking about, she brought 3ds. Mm-hmm. So she was playing games the whole time. Perfect. Actually, I, in that case, I was like, why did she even come? She wasn't even hanging out with her boyfriend. <laughs> I don't know what that was about. When I DM'd at college, this was a big problem because it wasn't necessarily tag-along, so you barely came with it, but we played in the public school area in the campus center and people would walk by the rumor and look in the window and be like oh hey look it's that guy let me go bother them and they just walk in the room and start talking to people and be like excuse me we're we're doing yeah. something right now can you not do that <laughs> and that's a rough one because it's a public area yeah, and yet, and like, yeah i have a right to talk to my friend and this is where i say you're the dm um you have to be assertive and i'd have to be like excuse me we're, we're playing right now can you talk some other time in that case that's a uh, problem born of the location that's why right. i like to run have most games uh that at least that i'm jamming anyway at my house because i kind of have the authority there mm-hmm. if i don't want somebody there if the group agrees or not this is my house i have uh rights over who enters my house my flake became a tag along after he kind of didn't join the game more he would kind of show up once in a while uh, uninvited by me i found out later he was invited by a player of mine and at a game i talked to him and said please don't invite him to my house i don't particularly like the guy he was friends with everybody else and he did nothing but come and distract and so it was uh it was a bothersome thing and you know i i pulled the my house card i'm like he, it's my house please don't invite anyone to my house without asking me first at least right at least ask me and they didn't again and, and, and still Stop becoming a problem. Stop coming over. So the last one we're going to go over here is the thespian. Um, this is somebody who likes somebody of the same gender. Uh, I don't know why it's a problem. Why is that a problem in the book? <laughs> the thespian is uh, is the guy who likes to act, maybe even overacts at times. Yeah, the I don't think the book clearly presents it as a problem. They say this is mostly a good thing. The thespian's an actor. They're very much into their characters or acting as their character. But just when they step over their bounds a little bit more. You're never out of character. C- Caleb, I'm just asking if you have cups. Yes, alas, <laughs> we can seek for cups. <laughs> as I, Alakazam, my magic will make the cups appear. That, that's great and all, but I, I do want a real a real cup. And it is there. Do you not see it? <laughs> I can't, I'm really thirsty right now. A line the book doesn't draw that I like to draw is that if you're using your Who act- is speaking to me? <laughs> I hear a voice from the nether. <laughs> Speak in your character voice, voice. Otherwise, I cannot understand ye. <laughs> if they're using their acting skills as a supplement to their character stats, that's when it becomes being a problem. Yes. A low-int guy who's making all the plans. Mm-hmm. 
the low charisma guy that's trying to convince everybody all sorts of things. I mean, otherwise, it's really just a problem that's parallel to the diva. That's someone that takes way too much attention to themselves. And it's probably just more also maybe getting on people's nerves. Being in character is a really good thing. But when it's like 100% of the time and everyone else is kind of talking out of character, you kind of have to read the table and be like, dude, maybe I shouldn't be in my character right now. Yonder pig pen keeper. <laughs> Dost thou have any pigs for me to buy? I am in a kicking mood. Oh, uh, you see that he has... Uh, plethora of pigs. I pick the most dirtiest, foulest pig I could find. Notice I did not say phallic. It sounded like I did. I said foulest. As in me. I am a conjurer! Witness me. So yeah, you can see why that would be a problem. Uh, Caleb's made me dislike him even more somehow. Forsooth, I thought it not possible. It is I, Gary Busey. Let's... It, there's not really in-game solutions to this because the problem is is that they're in-game. They're in-character. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's not really an in-game solution. Add a game. As for everything else, just talk to them. Be like, hey, yeah. look, it's cool. I love it. Just tone it down a little bit. Mm. I've never had to have that conversation. I'm usually trying to encourage the players. Exactly. Yeah, I've be. never had this problem. Uh, I'm sorry. I've had the problem where I probably was uh, doing it too much. I like to really be in my character. Uh, but as in having others, no. If we hadn't said it enough, the, the solution to all of these is to talk to the person. I've never, I've had to talk to people plenty of times and I've never talked to someone and they've been like, no, what I'm doing is fine. And they argued with me about it and we never came to a conclusion. I, it did happen once and then I ended up having to kick that person out. And, and, it, and it can be rough. I think it's easier when they're friends and you can talk to them. Sometimes you're playing a game where your friend says, hey, can my friend join? And you need another player. So yeah, he comes on and he joins. You don't know him super well. You end up disliking something. And it, that can be more difficult. I don't want to push it off as this is an easy thing to do. It's still mm -hmm. confrontation. It's still conflict. And it can be difficult. But I think as a GM, you got to suck it up and deal with it. Uh, otherwise, you're going to regret it because you're going to spend a lot of your time uh, upset and not having fun. And so are your players. And, the, and it lies in your hands to fix it. The power is yours. Because <laughs> we are, I am Captain Planet. Oh, what's the song? Wait, no, no, I got the Captain Planet. You can be one too. Because saving our planet is the thing to do. Looting and polluting is not the way. Here at Captain Planet has to say. You're being a thespian right now. The power is yours, oh, Gaia. Is, is that my line? I <laughs> honestly don't know. Line. That was your line. Come on. Heart. <laughs> Heart. All right. Uh, in our extra credit, we will be covering uh, maybe a little more uh, uh, specifically how to kick somebody out if it goes too far and, and they're not changing. We'll talk about a couple of other categories that we've come up with and maybe some dangerous combos. So, so stay tuned for that. Combos as in combinations of these little categories, not combos like the pretzel treat. <laughs> treat is a is a you're really you're really stretching that definition of that word there i just had one recently that was filled with like vanilla cream oh amazing that's not a dangerous combo at all that's a delicious combo as uh, has become our tradition now uh for for this uh this 200 series huh <laughs> this one's a bit much <laughs> no it's perfect <laughs> uh we are going to be reading abuseism an acronym written by gary Busey. gary Busey, we love you please come on the show 10 out of 10 would gary Busey it again relationship what you hold with all your players as that's a GM. right that's right really exciting love affair oh. turns into overwhelming nightmare sobriety hangs in peril wow okay sobering thought thanks <laughs> thanks gary i think we all have a little a little bit to take home with us today it's a little dark at the end of this episode all right guys i think we can all change a little bit here and we're going to take this in take that love on it 
stew over over the coming week all right let that let that let that absorb into that let that become you all right guys thanks so much for listening to tune in for the extra credit and uh class is dismissed pathfinder academy is part of the trailblazer network visit our site for other great pathfinder podcasts i've been nicholas laborde thanks for listening Why do I roleplay? To associate with cultures I never would have imagined. This is exactly what my mother said would be hell, and this is hell. No, 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 my friend. This is Journey to the Center of the Earth, like Brendan Fraser movie. No, I don't understand your accent. What? <laughs> Whoa, what is a giant cake? That's my cue. Whoa, she's naked. Here is softly speaking Sanskrit. We know why we roleplay. Why do you roleplay? Softlyspeakingsanskrit.com